Hello and welcome to Gender Nebulous episode 48. Today we have myself, Victoria Hodges, and my lovely co-host, Miss Frida Wallace. I'm just having a cake, sorry. Just having a cake. We're in the middle of recording, what does she do? Start a stuffing spe- her face with a cake. A special coronation cake. Coronation cake? I didn't get mm. any coronation cake. Where did you get that from? Did he? Was it delivered? Miss Sister, um, technically I won a hamper. You won a hamper? <laughs> well, it was... A uh, coronation uh, hamper. Mm. My, my but, deepest sympathies. And there was a cake in the shape of a crown, but okay. I've eaten most. There's not much crown left. It's merely just... So you're eating the, crown the, the, cake. Mm. Yeah. So, and how's your weekend been? I know it's not over yet, but it's coronation oh, weekend, well, isn't it? Did. Do you know what? I, I enjoyed some of the coronations. I, I know I'm all like anti-monarchy and all that, but I watch it and I think, I like these mad rituals. And it I was like mad, reading wasn't about it? The I, I did say I wasn't going to watch it, but then I thought, okay, I'll just watch the start. I'll just see what it's, the first yeah. bit's like. And I ended up watching the whole damn thing. But we are going to talk about the coronation a bit we later because because it's part. Of, I think it's one of the topics we're going to talk about. So I won't go into too much I think about it, that. Yeah, I think it was more kind of idle curiosity than anything else. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I've been. I've had a bit of a weird. I've had a bit of a weird uh, week on Twitter because, uh, like, the thing is with when I put something out there, I I criticize people fairly. And I don't necessarily go in to attack people. So when somebody says something inaccurate, I just I just correct it. And based on what I know, and I expect somebody might say, well, you might be wrong there. So this is why. And then we can have an, and then we can have a discussion. But what happens tends to happen is I say something and they don't like the facts of it because it destroys their argument. They don't have an argument anymore and it takes the it takes the power out. So what they do then is they like uh, they'll get a big account to retweet it and there'll be a pile on and everybody's just misconstruing what you say for about 48 hours. So that can be a bit scary because you're not arg- you're not having a discussion anymore. You're not talking about the subject you wanted to. You've been forced to defend yourself from things that you've not really done. Now, I can be quite adversarial on Twitter. I can I can go for people, but I te- but the thing is with that, I I just get to a point where I think this is spirals of arguments. And um, well, I mean, this it, is Twitter, isn't it? It's like it's like it is yeah. like this most of the time with anything but, you say on Twitter. But you think it's with my Twitter? My Twitter's a performance thing. Like I, that's the way I deal with Twitter. Like it's like an art. Like I like I do. Like I treat any of the art things that I do, like my poetry or my my spoken word performances. There's a there's an abstract part of what I. It's it's kind of not. It, it is me. I, all the opinions are my own. But but I know I I know exactly what I'm doing. When I post something, I know the effect it's going to have. When I tweet something, I think about what who will be. Who is this aimed at? What's the purpose of this tweet? What is the joke? A lot of my tweets are like, they're not like jokes as in the sense of like comedy, but they play on words. My, You know, I always try and have a hidden kind of innuendo in there that you can read it two ways. And one, of, if you read it one way, it makes you one kind of opinion. If you read it another way, you can have, it may make you a certain kind of, uh, put you in a certain kind of mindset. So I'm always like doing things like that, but the problem is people can copy and paste things, uh, screenshot things, and take them out of context, which so they that, will do a lot, especially yeah. if you're being targeted. So, so like, um, like I think you, you know, it, social media. I've, I'm, I still have my account. I've said this before, but I'm not actively using it. It's not on my phone. Mm. I just use it now and again on my PC. 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm using Mastodon more than I use Twitter these days. Um, I'm I'm yeah. quite interested in this new one that's coming, Blue Sky. Yeah, it sounds it sounds interesting. I mean, I I believe it when I see it, you know. But it's I, more. I think it's more like a federated site when it gets going. I mean, I'm not seeing it yet because I'm not in it, but I've got my name on the list. But I think it's going to be a bit more like Mastodon, where it's not nobody's in a kind of all overall control, and it's got this portability feature where you can move your account from kind of one to another and bring all your contacts with you. So I, mean, I think that's a really important thing to be able to do. Because you can do that within Mastodon if you change servers. I think it's like Mastodon, but on a bigger scale. And you can, you know, as long as you're all using the same kind of platform, you can transfer accounts from one server to another. The thing is, though, like one of the advantages, and it, well, I don't know if it's an advantage, but being trans on Twitter, you know... And people can tell that there's the reason people are targeting you. They might say that they're defending this or they're they're speaking up for this person. But when you look at the profiles, they have some very specific things in common. The hashtag is always I stand with JK Rowling and keep prison single sex and keep men out of women's sports and things like that. So, you know, straight away, like because like I had this thing of people tagging my employer, but my employer, no that every time that happens now, you just have to look at the, the you know, it, most of them are anonymous and most of them are just really angry and it's not a complaint, it's an attack. And my my initial um, communication that led to that was, you know, was fairly reasonable. But you see, the problem I have is I just like winding people up too much, you know. I I go in for it too much, and I put myself in a vulnerable place because I know I'm po I know what I'm posting. I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. Nothing goes on my Twitter by accident. I think what you should do maybe is instead of getting into these never-ending arguments, is just post what you want to post. Make sure it's understood the way you want it to be understood, and then switch off comments. Leave. The way that you combat fascism is letting people tell on themselves. So I will ask them the question. Most of my tweets in replies are questions because they'll say they'll use things like autogenophile and um, woman face. And, and I'll say, well, what does that mean? As a genuine question, what does that mean to you? Mm. Without linking me to another website, tell me what that means. But have you ever thought about maybe just coming off for a month, just take a break, and then go no, back? No, completely. I'm a completely addicted complete, to Twitter. Uh, you're addicted, have, so you do admit it's an addiction. <laughs> I, I have Twitter intravenously injected. See, I understand this because I, I've tried to delete it off my phone several times and then just reinstalled it. This, this last attempt I've done, I've managed to keep it off, and I just go in on my PC because and I've, I'm finding my life is so much calmer, so much more relaxed i don't have to worry about what's going on in twitter anymore because i'm not posting stuff it's very relaxing actually i know it's probably not good in terms of well where's your activism vicky but my, it's not really activism for me what I, my activism is doing this podcast and doing other things that i do you know that i do a lot of things outside of work outside of this podcast so you know so that's what i do it may not be you know, fighting with people. Do we look at the news? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I shall. In in lizard news, switch us down to our news proportions. There we go. Mm -hmm. And 
topic. First one is about the election. So our first story, Tories will double down on anti-trans culture war if they lose local elections, trans voters fear. So we've just seen the Tories being um, basically... They didn't do well, did ...being they? completely <laughs> devastated in the local elections, which is a good thing. Uh, I think they lost over a 1,000 councillors and was it, was it like 40-something councils mm. where Labour has have gained about 30 councils and about I think it was over over 500 yeah. councillors and the um the Lib Dems have made big gains too as as have the Greens so I mean the Tories have lost it to all all the other parties pretty much depending on mm. where you were but I mean this this story I mean does does this show that despite the fact the Tories are fighting the culture war that it's really not making any difference to them um, I think it's a bit of a wake up. I don't, you see, I don't like when, because I'm entrenched in this debate all the time on Twitter and I go on, I've been on Talk TV and I've been on GB News and all that. And I I sometimes feel like it's all around all the time, but it's because I'm algorithmically thrown this stuff. You know what I mean? Because I, your, your Twitter experience, et cetera, is, is kind of tailored to what you search for. But I think most mm. people, like when I talk to my sister, when I talk to other colleagues about this, it, it's not even on their radar. They're voting based on their tax and their, their what income tax and, yeah. and basic Gas money. Bills, inflation. Exactly. Because they, they, sometimes I've had, conver- I've had conversations with my mum and I've had conversations with my sister where I'll talk, oh God, have you heard about what Kemi Badenoch is doing? And they go, what? Well, then they might not even know a name and i know all these people's names because they they, they I, we have to kind of figure out what's going on so oh i say yeah can be bad or not come i'll explain what she's been up to and they just say well what's that go how's that going to affect anybody and that's the reality of it yeah let me just read a, a little bit out of this here story um mm-hmm. so ahead of the local elections on thursday i mean We've had the elections now, but uh, the latest polling from Ipsos shows that 49% of the country are behind Labour, almost double the Conservatives, 26%. I think that's even even less now. And the Liberal Democrats sit, sit third with 11% and the Green Party's in fourth. If the Tories lose, plenty of queer people will see it as a victory, but it's unlikely to change the course of the culture wars. Says mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Hasted, chair of LGBT plus Lib Dems. Over the last couple of years, the Conservatives have repeatedly weaponized trans rights in an apparent bid to drum up to drum up support among its voters. I think that I think that is failing because of what we just spoke about. Mm. People aren't really that focused on this issue, unless apart from a, a kind of really small, hardcore minority of you know bigots. Um, I think most people are more concerned about. You know the, the daily cost of living and NHS and all the all yeah. the kinds of things. Well, yeah, because like when I've spoke to patients when I've been at work and and they and they don't know anything about like they, they talk to me and the the word trans never cost it. I mean, even that like I have conversations sometimes about being trans and it's not an issue for them. It's not like yeah. I mean, we've like... even seen that you know the Labour Party has shifted its position on trans rights. You know that Overton window thing. Um, Keir Starmer. You know, he, he he's trying to move himself more and more, you know, in line with Tory thinking. Mm-hmm. So so I think he does that so that people can't see a difference between 
Labour and Tory, and therefore will vote to, will, will vote Labour. You know, you know, on on other policies. So he tries to align himself with Tory policies mm. and attempt to get their vote. Yeah, but it's kind of worked. Well, it, I mean, yeah, it has, but yeah. that doesn't mean. Do, I mean, does that mean that if it's worked, does that mean if and when he ever gets in power, he's going to he's going to move back to the left? No, because because he's gone he back on the there? tuition fees pledge. He's gone back on a few things, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think I don't I don't have a lot of faith in I've I've seen like people who were in the Labour Party that are ousted out, you know, with the whole anti Semitism thing. And I think, you know, yeah, of course, like if you're gonna if you're gonna look at racism in political parties, you can't cherry pick. You know, you've got to look at it all and, and the Tory party is rife with it. Islamophobia. Uh so that what is that is that is Islamophobia worse than is anti Semitism? No. But it's like but, what they'll try and do, because anti-Semitism is such a, you know, it, it can it can creep in. It's kind of like the invisible demon, do you know what I mean? And people can make mistakes and not see it. And I think if you just have, like what happened to Diane Abbott recently? Hmm. And I don't I don't think for one moment Diane Abbott is a racist or a, or a anti-Semite. She made a mistake, okay, but we're grown ups. We don't denigrate a whole person's character based on, and because I'd be buggered, wouldn't I? <laughs> oh, just some, some of the other comments in this, this article. You know, Labour is the best option for LGBT voters up and down the country, but that doesn't mean they're expecting the transphobic culture war to come to an end if they make significant gains in the local elections. Um, somebody's saying they imagine it will get worse regardless of which party comes out best in the local mm. elections. The Tories are hell bent on using trans people as as pawns in their culture war, mm. leaving our community more vulnerable than it's been in decades. It's disappointing that Labour has indulged in this and briefed against its own policy on self-ID and other measures that would make trans people's lives easier in the mid in the medium term. We're in it, we're in it for a, a rocky few years, unfortunately, and that's down to all political parties in Britain. As for the mm. Tories, um, this person agrees that um, they're unlikely to back away from the trans issues even in the face of brutal local elections issues, they'll dig the hills in further on culture wars, which can only be bad news for minority groups in the UK. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean... I, it's not going to get I, better anytime I, soon, I don't think. I just kind of sigh whenever I talk. Yeah. we talk about, like, you know, Labour Party now, because I just... I, I, I had a lot of hope. You it's know, a massive disappointment, years, isn't it? I had a lot of... I had a bit of hope when Jeremy Corbyn was coming popular and there were people around him that seemed like they could act. the thing is he could have made real change and the, the Tory party and every, every one of the uh, lobby group friends were so frightened that that Corbyn could make gains and, and perhaps become prime minister because they knew what a bumbling dickhead Boris was there was a chance Boris could easily fuck that up so so they went in full Everything that Corbyn said was analysed, re, you know, regurgitated as some kind of, yeah, they were trying to link him to communism and all this and Marxism. It's like it was, a, I mean, if you look at it objectively, it was a, a character assassination. And if you want, if you're interested in looking at that, I would recommend Alexi Sales podcast where he interviews Jeremy Corbyn because that is where you where he's honest and that because he can speak freely. And and what Jeremy Corbyn says, I actually hundred percent believe him, because he's got no reason to lie there. Yeah, we've drifted a long way away from that position. I'm we? sorry. Yeah, I went on a bit of a. a, a no, a, I mean not you and me. I mean, as a country, the, the, you look no, at the Labour Party today, it's it's kind of drifted 
to the right quite quite a long way. Well, didn't you say though a couple of weeks ago, like the the, the Tory party of Theresa May? Yeah, is now, well, it's more left wing than <laughs> the Labour Party. Because when you think about Theresa May was going to bring in the self ID, yeah, she was going to bring in all the changes, and now Labour don't even want to talk about that. I think self ID is inevitable. The, you what, know that Overton window thing; it really has. We've really seen it shift to the right, haven't we? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and every the one of these people, every one of these people that argues about this is, you know, it will be proved to them. Even no matter what news stories they find about trans rapists or trans criminals, they they do the risk assessment, and that is how we work things out. Like when you're in a, you can't be. I mean, emotions do ride high in times of elections and in times when, you know. People think of their team, don't they, when they think of a political party. It comes like that. And so, I mean, it's hard to be. But it's, don't you think it's really interesting how that window has shifted, though? Because if you think about where we were a few years ago, nobody would have even thought that this country would pull out of the European Union. You know, that was just like a wild, a wild thing that people on the right were kind yeah, of dreaming of. I mean, and, and now it it's kind of like you've got people on... in in left politics saying, oh, well, we're never going to go back in the EU. You know, he's like, it's shifted, it's shifted completely. Yeah. I mean, it's I, not I that never... issue either. There's loads of issues where that kind of acceptable opinion window is, is kind of, is shifted massively to the right. Well, this is, this is, we've got to I move thought... it back to the left. I, yeah, this is before I even came out as trans and I, I, I was listening to talk radio and stuff and it was, I was interested because I didn't know anything about Europe or the European. Honestly, I was totally ignorant to it. I didn't know anything that was going on. And this UKIP party kept popping up in, in leaflets my mum was getting. And I thought, what is this? It's like the BNP, but we're in a sharper suit. You need to question this moment. It's not good. So when I started, and that's when I got into what listening to talk TV. And um, at the time, it was it, it was it wasn't as right wing completely as it is now. They used to have quite a lot of more labor john nicholson you know the scottish um mp mm -hmm. he was on talk tv at that time and it's massive difference now and brexit caused well, that. i mean if you look at the results of the election i mean what what seems to have happened to ukip is that they've lost all the remaining seats they had mm. and i think what i think the party that's taken over now is this um reform uk party oh which god is, they're, they're terrible. is that under richard Tice is that Richard Tice, yeah, who buys buys. So he's gone from he's gone from UKIP with uh, what's his name, um, you know, to to Richard Tice. I mean, it's the same thing, really, just a different name. I don't think some people don't realise like how interconnected, based on very very small group of people, that where power resides. Because well, I mean, they didn't do very well either. So I mean, it's not. No, no, no. I don't expect they will, because you know, I mean. Um, I'm I am still hopeful because, like, when you see these polls of like when what they ask when they ask people about trans issues, what they're trying to do is lobby for the change in opinion, so that when they do polls, they'll they'll ask the question like, should trans women be allowed in their female spaces? And if you've all you've listened to is talk TV, and all you've listened to is GB News for a year, your opinion is going to be different than if it hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think the best we can hope for at the moment is that. You know, Labour get in. Um, the the Lib Dems do better. Yeah. You know, we, we ensure that Tories are out, and then once they're in, we kind of we all, we all work to move that Overton window back to the uh, sensible zone. Mm. Yeah.
you know, uh, I mean, if if Labour's kind of pushed itself to the right just to just to gain votes, mm. I'm hoping that when they're actually in power, that they realise, okay, that was a mistake. Let's go back to where we used to be, um, you know, move back to where they traditionally are, left to centre. Yeah, but I, I don't I know. Just... I, don't, I don't know if I'm wrong there, but I think it might be easier to do that once they're in. Mm. Well, because like, then, because I... then they're not worrying about. Oh, we need to be like Tories to get votes because they're in, they're in power. They can kind of forget about that and then move back to normal, sensible policies. The only ta- the only way I vote really is based on like like I look at the voting stuff. So obviously, I'm voting Labour, and I didn't, and and I know there are Labour policies that are totally shit, and I and I totally disagree with them. But that is like the only option. Yeah, but you're never going to get 100% alignment with any party in your own views, are you? There's always going to be certain things. Yeah, I know, I know, because then you'd have like a... I'm not sure what you can really kind of expect in a percentage to to kind of match up with a party. I mean, maybe 70% of what you think matches up with the party. Yeah, but Vicky, when I run for local government, um, (laughs) my policies are going to be killer. And I'm going to be like, you know, free carpet for everyone. Everybody gets Tuesday afternoon off, and um, a free a free digi box. <laughs> do they still do them? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, you probably get some votes. And I buy me on TV station like Richard Tice has done, so I can filter all this bollocks from Tufton Street directly into the earholes of our souls, so they'll vote the way I want. All right, watch the space. <laughs> <laughs> So back go heading heading back to the coronation news. Coronation, yeah. Coronation Street. Um, it was all very weird, wasn't it? King Charles Coronation, yeah. I mean, th- that was a really strange thing, wasn't it? It had a, it didn't have a celebratory feel. It, to no, me. it didn't. It felt very weird. It felt like another. He didn't look. He didn't look happy. Nobody was really smiling. It was all very I strange. I, I, just, I, get, I, I got the impression that none of the people there wanted to be there. No, and that that weird kind of ceremony where they're doing the anointing behind the yeah behind really... the screens and giving him all they're, the bits do you know of metal. do you know what they are? You no, know, they gave him what did they give him? They gave him some the coronation ring, the um, yeah. I know there's a couple of with the, with the bracelets or something mm. or spurs. You, there were some yeah, bracelets, but... some spurs. Well, then they gave him the the orb with the cross on it, like the, the cross of Jesus on the orb of the world. And then the two staffs, I can't remember what they're both called, but the two staffs he, they, they gave him. Well, there's a guy on Twitter called so, Mike. What, I mean, I'm sure all that has meaning and it's been done for hundreds of yeah, years. Yeah, I was just going to... But it all seems very odd, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a guy on Twitter that I follow called Mike Stouchbury, and he's an historian... And he was talking about because these are occult rituals. They like go back to Egyptian times. They go back many, many years. Yeah, you know they they go but the idea of anointing. And, but the and anointing the, seemed to be like the most important part of the ceremony, yeah. and but, the rest was just like you know putting on the crown and giving him all the bits of metal mm. with like just like the symbols of having been anointed. Like yeah. you're the anointed one, so we give you all these things. Yeah, yeah. the divine right of kings. Yeah. You see what I want to do. Because uh, because because you know before this we were talking about protesting, weren't we? So we should do mm. something for the coronation. And what I wanted to do was get a load of drag queens together and go to London and find a, a park we could do it and and just crown each other. And it was going to be called the Divine Right of Drag Queens, and it and it was just our 
our coronation, coronating ourselves, coronating a word, you know, to give ourselves the crown. And because we are, as drag queens, I mean, I'm not a drag queen, but but drag queens are uh, symbolic of, you know, that opulence, even, even though, you know, a lot of drag queens are skin, <laughs> let's face it. But they, they're kind of, you know, they play into that idea of the ritual of dressing up and becoming this otherworldly thing, which is what we look at when you look at queens and kings and queens. So, and that's why they're called drag queens. <laughs> I think they kind of, I mean, with Charles, he kind of stripped off all his layers of clothing and he was just stood there in what looked like an old, an old white shirt for at one yeah. point. Oh, God. And his shoes and his, Masonic. And his, his shorts, whatever it was. And then they kind of start putting all these layers of all these different robes and things on him. And it's, it was it was really a very bizarre. But let's not forget, we've not had a coronation in this country. No. What was it, that. 70 years? And we're not probably not going to get one now. Um, not in that way. I can't see if, when When Charles uh, passes, I don't think William and Kay will want that. No, it'll probably be reduced down to something more. It'll be it'll be carved in line with the times. It'll be pure carination. <laughs> a couple of cardboard crowns, a couple of solicitors will come round and sign a few documents. Yeah, you saw it again. The, the, the <laughs> other, yeah, the other really interesting part of it was how it was all heavily associated with the Church of England, mm -hmm. the Protestant faith, and all this stuff. And you know, Jesus being the King of Kings and he's basically anointing Prince Charles to be the King of England. You know, there's a lot of religious kind of connotations to it. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if European Royals have all that religious association when they do coronations, but I found that a bit weird. Um, you know, if somebody's not religious, how do you, how do you, how do you associate with the King of England? Who's also the King of the, the religion? You know, it's all very strange. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because this is this, the thing about this is it goes back to that. If even if we didn't celebrate the royal family, we'd still have the aristocracy of this country. Oh, yeah, the landed gentry that, that really do still control everything. And um, it's just wild that that yeah, we live in that kind of system. But that is because of who the landowners are. And when and interestingly, when you look at who the landowners are. And when you look at who they're connected to, they're the people that run the British press. They're the people that want that to hold on to power. Yeah. And the way that they lobby for that is by influencing what stories get written. And and, and, it, and this is how it works. But and they were stopping like do the offices of Just Stop Oil got raided because they there was a tip off that they might do a protest. And if you're going to stop people rightfully protesting, if you're going to stop people who who you know, no, nobody's saying they're going to go up to the king and, and you know, do him any damage. Well, there was <laughs> another, another organisation, Republic, anti-monarchy anti group, aren't they? Oh, they Peter Tatchell, yeah. Peter Tatchell was protesting with them. But they they were, they, apparently they'd, they'd got permission to do their protest. It was all organised. It was all yeah. proved. And then on the day, you know, the police start arresting some of their members. They put up a big screen so they couldn't be seen. You know, they, which was all against what was what was agreed two days yeah. before. So, you know, what the police have some answers to give. You know, why did they do that? You know, they they were it was a peaceful protest. If you can't protest in this country, you know what the hell is going on? You know, mm. these are peaceful protests. They weren't doing anything other than sh holding up banners and chanting a few words. I mean, 
if you don't like what they're saying, you just ignore it and go stand somewhere else. They're allowed. People are allowed to protest. It's, you know, we're not as far as I, yeah, because it's a slippery. Are we living slope? in we, a? We know that we, the government are trying to bring these laws in. Sorry, well, just, they've already really, brought really they've upset. already brought one law in about protesting. Uh, it just it just makes me so mad because if this goes forward and they say oh, you can't because they were talking about what is a peaceful protest and what is a um uh, what they call it a social what do they call it a disturbance yeah. Nobody can decide that. Yeah, how do you like, define that? What all is it? protests start peacefully. No, but if, if you're going to say you can't do things, you need to be really specific about what it is you specifically yeah, cannot do. Put it, put it do. this way, Vicky, right? If I, if I wanted to stage a protest and something happened within that protest, the police could shut it down based on one person's actions. Yeah, well, they're doing it, but they've, they've been very wishy-washy about the definition. So it's down to the local police chief to decide what the definition is. So if he decides, okay, well that's just that's a disturbance, even though it's not, well then then they can arrest people based on his interpretation of the law. The fact is that it's it's so wishy washy and undefined that it, they've left it open for that very reason, so that they can allow the police to choose what the what the law is basically. So mm. there was an interview done on Channel Four, I think it was one of the Channel Four news people, and he was talking to the deputy chief assistant, mm. whatever his name is, I can't remember now, but. Yeah. You know, he was asking this point, saying, well, "Can you can you tell us what is the definition that you're using to define a disturbance?" And and the guy couldn't give it. He said, "Well, it depends on mm. depends on this. It depends on that." So there's no clear definition. Is what he was saying. I think that's a deliberate policy that they've, they've done that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's all part of a a wider plan to because because the thing is, I to mean, stamp out any kind of. Um, they protest. know that they know that people there's there's more and more protests springing up. We know we've had the just stop oil thing, and they try to shut down them. And then we got like a lot the like the trans rights protests can get really not violent. I don't think there's been anybody. Well, are we becoming a uh, a dictatorship here? But what people don't realize when people feel like it. When people protest trans rights, they're not just protesting for trans. It's the idea that they pro that the the idea that somebody can can change policy to harm people to make somebody's life more difficult. That's what they're protesting. It's it's like yeah, they're standing up, they they fly the trans flag and all this, but they might fly a load of other flags. I've seen like communist flags. I've seen, you know. Ukrainian flags at protests. There's a lot of issues come together, so you could get a big protest, and it's not just single issue. It's it's about justice, and within that big, there might be a couple of people who just daft enough to throw a brick at someone, and because of that, that is the only thing that will be seen on the news, mm. and that is a that is a real sad thing. But that's what happens because the, the news don't want to talk about the debate. They want to say, look at these crazy lunatic activists look at these crazy violent um you know insurrectionists <laughs> that's what they yeah. want so you, to think what what you what you end up doing is agreeing with your own removal of your own rights don't you you end up agreeing with the government to say oh yeah you can take away our right to protest because we agree with you because you told us it's wrong i mean that's 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 where you're going you go you were kind of sleepwalking into a dictatorship mm. in a way yeah yeah because because it's very easy to do People don't yeah. realise that. Like where some countries are now in Europe, like in Italy, they're, they're very right-wing, you know. It's mm. really simple because fascism, like when, when I've used the word fascism, people say, oh, it's hyperbolic. You know, why are you using, why are you invoking the Third Reich? I said, no, because fascism is incremental. And yeah. we notice it because we can actually feel it on the street. And and I when you talk to... 
I talk to a lot of people that do stuff with uh, Black Lives Matter and do stuff with uh, Extinction Rebellion. And that's where I get a lot of my information about Tufton Street and things like that, because the trans part is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just a bit that we notice because we're entrenched in that particular debate. And while we're actually doing that, we're not really paying. A... See, this is the thing. Like That's why I like mentioning Trans Safety Network a lot, because a lot of the stuff I've talked about when I've been on Talk TV has come from that website. And it's because... It's not like it's not an, my blog is like an opinion piece and I and I am opinionated. That is just pure fact what's on that website. You don't care what doesn't care about your opinion. The the other thing that's been really interesting with this coronation is is how a lot of countries that are still part of the Commonwealth mm. seem to be now having this conversation around do we still need to have the monarchy in our country? Mm. Um we've seen this from New Zealand, um Australia, not so much Canada. You know, and a lot of a lot of the Caribbean countries are, are having these internal debates. So, and it you know it also ties back to colonialism, doesn't it? And you know the slave trade, mm. and the, there seems to be a growing movement towards we need the government to apologise for these things. We need reparations. I'm just wondering if this now that we've got King Charles, you know, is this mm. is this opening up for all these countries to say right enough, let's get rid. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, I think it's inevitable, way, isn't it? I think inevitably the the monarchy is going to the 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 idea of the head of of the state uh, thing, whatever, will disappear. But you, but the thing is, it's just like I said, the, all the aristocratic families that own the land that really actually do control power in this country. Yeah, I mean, just people. you know, just this article in particular, um, you know, it's talking about the colonial legacy. I didn't know until I'd read this article that in 1952, same year that Queen Elizabeth II acceded to the throne, British forces declared a state of emergency in Kenya. I wasn't really aware of this. Um, at that time, Kenya was part of the British Empire, the size of which was declining as colonies began to seek independence. When the when the Kenyan Mau Mau movement advocated violent resistance against colonial rule, mm. the British responded with brute force. In the years that followed, more than 20,000 I think it's Kikuya, Kikuya people were put in detention camps. 11,000 rebels died in the fighting. The Mau Mau Rebellion is one of the most pertinent examples of the horrors people were subjected to mm. by British colonialism. Yeah, I didn't even know about this. No, I didn't. I mean, you know, this this was happening in 1952. This mm. is after the Second World War where, you know, we, we basically were fighting the Germans. And yet at the same, you know, a few years later... This article goes on to say, um, "Well, know, kid, the... the thing is, I was taught a version of British when I was at school. I was taught a version of British history that is more or less a fiction. I mean, we took we, we I remember learning about the Indian that you know the Raj, the British Raj in India, and it all seemed to be very nice. You know, we, we went over there to educate the people, and all, and then I learned about the Second World War. We did the Second World War at GCSE, and it was basically like just Spitfires." And Churchill. <laughs> yeah, so this Mau Mau re rebellion in 1952, there's a picture here. Mm. A British policeman hold men in the village yeah, at gunpoint yeah. while their huts are searched for evidence that they participated in the rebellion act of, sorry, in the act of rebellion in 1952. And it goes on to talk about there have been many rebellions before throughout the British Empire, but when in this, mm. um, 
the crackdown with horrific violence, the use of concentration camps, the use of counterinsurgency, trying to starve people out, arresting people, and then mass hangings and executions. Yeah. No, this is this is the British in 1952. Mm. And it's it's like we don't know about. I mean, I'm sure if you were a historian and you read the books, you'd know about this. But most, it's like we. I I think of myself as a fairly reasonably curious and educated person, and and I didn't know about this. So, if you think about the kind of people, not to profile people, but the kind of people that read the Daily Mail, the kind of people that aren't really engaged in anything, they don't. They're not going to know about what shapes policies of well, not policies, but like the country. Yeah, um, you know how the how the British Empire kind of exported its. LGBT, anti-LGBT mm. doctrine across the world. Oh yeah, because it's colonial. Yeah. It's like when you when you look at African countries now that are very anti-LGBT. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a map British. here showing the showing the areas which are which still criminalise LGBT people, and it's basically the remnants of the British Empire. Mm. Yeah, well, it still still exists. You know, like the we talk about the Commonwealth now, don't they? Not the British Empire. It's well, like when you see those yeah. pictures of, you know, when they carry William on a throne. It's the, and there's... It's the British Empire, which is now referred to as the Commonwealth. Yes. Mm, it's the same thing. I think they've slimmed down a bit and they don't... They don't... They've gentrified it, haven't they? They couldn't afford it. I mean, after the Second World War, we had to pay so much money to America for fighting it for us that we had to get rid of the empire. I think it was... This, actually, it was the First World War that, that did that. So, yeah, I'm just wondering now we've got Charlie Boy. How long is that going to... I don't think he's going to I can, I I can start think, seeing these I, countries saying, like, we don't need the Moroccan. You see, where the Queen, where the Queen was protected, like, she might have said things behind closed doors that were, you know, we never, we'll never know, right? But there's not going to be that protection of Charles because he's going to piss people off. All right, next one. Um, <laughs> activist Tate Smith warns that businesses aren't thinking ahead on trans inclusion. Mm. So th- I think this, uh, this article is about. You know when you when you cut when you're at work and you you come out as a trans person and you might be the first one to come out in that company, mm. and yeah. then the company kind of scrambles to oh we need oh, to what get, we're going to do with get, this what one? we're going to do with this we need to get some policies in place and the, and they give Stonewall a ring and Stonewall says oh yeah we can help you with that policy and uh, here you go here's a template and you know then then the then they get the policy in place and then more yeah. trans people join and you know those trans people who are who are just recently out in the company have to spend most of their time explaining to the HR department why policy X, Y, and Z is not quite right. And, you know, you say you're not saying the right thing there and this needs to be changed here because this, you know, there's all little things like that where we notice as trans people that, you know, other people won't see because it doesn't affect them or it's just like not on their radar at all. Yeah, this is also why the turf states don't want. Yeah, I think what Tate Smith is saying here with, with this article is that, you know, rather than waiting for people to approach HR and say, look, I'm I'm trans and I'm going to transition, to have those policies in place ready so that they don't have to go around scrambling and not and not have to put all the pressure on the trans people or the or the other mm. people within the LGBT community mm. who are basically having to do the work of the HR department to get that stuff in place for when they come out. Yeah, I, I'm going to say like... You know, when it, it's like it shouldn't be down to us to put mm. HR policy in place. The company should be doing this proactively, yeah. having these policies in place before people, you know, yeah. even come out. I I've got to say, though, like where I work, I've, I've been quite impressed by how they've, they've been able to help me 
and they gave me support and the man the man the managers I closest to did understand because we are part like the we're part of a union that is part of the LGBT foundation, the unison. So that really helps. But what people don't understand is like when they write these policies, they're they're not they're not consulting trans people a lot of the time. They're just looking at it purely from an employment law point of view. I understand why they do that, because if you look at the case of Maya Forstarter, her whole case was about she wanted to express a gender critical view and she felt like she couldn't do it. Now, in that situation, anybody can talk to me about being trans. Anybody, I, I don't shut people. If somebody comes to me with a genuine question about my transition and it's not out of the blue and it's not rude, then I'm happy to have that conversation. They make out that, you, that there was some kind of there's a taboo about questioning our uh, our version of how we express ourselves. But you see, what people like, that do is they make out that they they are being shut down like they are, it's almost as if that it's their view of the world that is the minority it's not that's <clears throat> excuse me the way the reason those policies exist is to like if somebody was to genuinely <clears throat> sorry i've got a bit of a cough if somebody was to genuinely say to me oh what was it like when you came out and obviously that's a natural conversation to have with somebody but if they go oh you're a man though aren't you now we know by somebody saying that it, it's not it, it doesn't it, it's coming from a, a sort of aggressive point of view. So I if I if I don't want to work with that person, my employer will don't will say no. You don't have to. You don't have to put up with that. And it's as simple as that. And um, yeah, but I don't I don't think managers line managers are really given much education in this are they they're just kind of no, no, left alone no, my, yeah, the company may or is, may not have a policy and then they may and yeah. may or may not have told people about it yeah but my point is it comes down to basic social politeness like you wouldn't go up to it's like there was do you remember that story in the papers there was like a, a charity event at buckingham palace so i could have was at buckingham palace oh yeah, one, yeah of, and one of the ladies in waiting asked a black lady where you're from yeah, and then kept oh, insisting the, where you're from. She, but you see, that is what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. It's about the way people are not. You know, you, you know, we're all we're all trying <coughs> to we're all trying to do a job, and my identity has nothing to do with that job. <clears throat> so, have I made to feel like unwelcome, or you know, sidelined or unincluded? then that's a problem. Not for me. It's not my problem. It's a problem for that person and the employer. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. That, yeah. I mean, Tate, Tate says in this article, I don't think they're <coughs> thinking ahead. Um, they're waiting for somebody to come out and tell them what to do, which is not good enough. Well, but many businesses are implementing small changes like encouraging correct pronoun use, gender-neutral toilets, and inclusive recruitment to support the trans community at work. There's <laughs> a lot of more businesses... Uh, leaders, there's a lot more that business leaders can be doing. I'm seeing a real need for them to be educated by trans and non-binary people, um, but the general consensus is that they always wait for someone to come out. Um, Smith sees the lack of progressive policy as the reason why many trans and non-binary people are not out at work. Mm. What I found is an excuse, Smith continues, it's always used as to why they don't have a policy or why they don't cover surgery or whatever it might be they go well we don't know any trans or non-binary people so you know it's like they've not put the policies in place because they've not come across anybody who needs to use them yeah i mean so you know it's like get them in place 
talk about it in your recruitment drives and then trans people will come along. <laughs> You're going to have to excuse me. I, I, I think I've got cake stuck in my throat. you got a cake in your throat. <laughs> excuse me. I, need, I just needed to cough really loudly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that we do need to be part of policy making, you know. That's what I'd say. You know? Well, yeah, but, but then it shouldn't be down to us to do it. I mean, it should, the company should have this stuff in place and, and 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 while they're doing that you know they can they can talk to us about you know is this right yeah. does this yeah, but that, that, because yeah, that's but the thing they don't do they, like they might put a policy in place but it'll be done by the hr department under yeah, duress yeah. because they've been asked to come up with one but whilst they're doing it they may not go and ask the trans people who work for them mm-hmm. what do you think about this policy could you re- could you read it for us just to make sure that we're saying the right things they don't do that bit no you know and i and i, I think the thing is with these policies like and the reason Stonewall kind of helped with those is because they do listen to trans and, and non-binary and all of the spectrum, LGBTQ. And it's not opinion. It's based on reality. It's based on their reality and their, on what people are telling them. And we know that people <clears throat> have been, we know that people have been sacked and we know that people have been forced out of jobs because of their identity you know, that's happened. It's not obvious. And, and what some people think is they, these policies mean they can't express their opinion. Yes, you can express your opinion. The first course, uh, the first thing is not you're going to lose your job because if you say, if you call me a man, you know, it just makes you look stupid. And people turn around and go, why are you calling freedom, man? Because we, we understand in a work situation, there's a, you know, got to get on with each other. We're not there to... Well, the employer also has a responsibility to make sure you're working in a safe. Yeah, you know, exactly. But 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 the wider point for me is, I if if somebody wants to have a, it's like you will be seen by a manager and you will have a conversation. Did you did did you have an argument with Frida? I know she's a bit of a gobby bitch. You know <laughs> that conversation will happen, right? And I might be asked what was said. I know I said all oh, this happened, and then we might just go. Shall we just forget about it? Because you know we're not we're not here to argue. And most times, most times when meetings like that happen, that is the outcome. They don't lose their job, no matter how much Maya Forstart. I might believe that happens. It definitely does not happen. And I can tell you, I I've worked with people who definitely have a problem with me. Obviously, I can't go into that into detail. But all I do, all I'm going to do is remove myself from that situation. I'm not going to go chasing them and going, you're a transphobe, you need to be fired. I just want to, I just don't want to be in that space with somebody who doesn't like me. Why would I? When everybody else, when nobody else has a problem with me. Yeah, exactly. Because if, if somebody is intolerant of that, the chances are they're intolerant of a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And if you're working in a public facing organisation where you're going to meet people in the street, in public... Yeah. That are all different, when, whether so, they be trans, whether they be from other cultures, whether they be, you know, I don't know. Well, I think I think we need to see organisations taking the lead on this, don't we? And, yeah. And they them being the ones that put the policies in place, making sure that they've had those appropriate conversations with, you know, people in our community to make sure that the policies are in line with the best policies available. I mean, that's I think that's what's, you know, the work that Tate's been doing and Tate, Tate's involved in trans in the city um you know and and that's the bread and butter of trans in the city they're, they're kind of bringing this inclusion into businesses and helping them to to do that so yeah you see, more the, of it. I think the thing is with work in work 
people bring the political opinions into work and and well, yeah. I've been I've been in the office and somebody's brought a newspaper in and I said, oh, have you seen this in the paper? And I'll say, <coughs> excuse me, I'll say, you know why that's rubbish, don't you? Because, <clears throat> you know, most of the tabloid press is rubbish. And they, they kind of know and we can talk about that. But you see, the thing is, if you're trans and there's a lot of trans news in in the tabloid media, you feel like you're being talked about. And you've got to have a way of saying, look, I, I just don't want to talk about that. You know, I'm not here to no, talk You shouldn't about... have to. You don't have to respond. Mm. Yeah. I'm really sorry about the coffee. God, it's, okay. like, it's like. Next one. Uh, cycling's governing body, UCI defends trans cyclist Austin Killips' victory in women's race. So, you know, this this is the international trans uh trans cycling international cycling organization um so sports cycling world governing body has defended a win by transgender cyclist austin killips by reaffirming its inclusion policy mm. in response to accusations that allowing trans people to take part was effectively killing off women's cycling union cyclist international uci said its transgender policy is based on the latest scientific knowledge. The UCI was forced to defend its policy after Killips won a stage on the tour of the Gilea women's race in New Mexico Sunday, April 30th. The mm. win sparked a wave of anti-trans outrage from pundits arguing that Killips' victory would amount to the eventual destruction of women's sports. Those who described the win as cyclist's Leah Thompson moment, um, referring to the trans US swimmer argued that the UCI's guidelines, which state that trans women with testosterone below 2.5 nanomoles per litre permitted mm. to compete, was not fit for purpose. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's the usual typical stuff that we hear about. Yeah, this is this is the sports. kind of thing I'd usually get called to go on talk TV to talk about. Yeah, it? and then it's interesting that the, <laughs> the UK organisation have actually, you know, that they've they've put in place temporary, they've temporarily suspended trans women from elite female competition um pending pending some kind of review mm. yeah i mean i yeah. mean the thing is with this it's like whenever there's a story like this it's all about making out that trans women are taking over something and if you want to learn about this i recommend kirsty um miller <clears throat> who we've interviewed miller, yeah times. she's expert on Vicky, this stuff. i'm really sorry you're gonna to have to talk for a minute because i'm going to turn my mic down so i can have a cough all right so the so the report <laughs> from the Canadian Centre of Ethics in Sport, revealed that the male puberty shows little evidence of producing an inherent competitive advantage. Research suggests factors such as nutrition, training and exercise can have more of an effect than testosterone. You know, there there is not one discrete biomarker that allows easy comparison of athletes' bodies to each other in terms of performance, the report reads. So, you know, it's it should be based on the science. Um, I think I agree yeah. with that. Um, yeah, and let's let's keep the science up to date. Let's do the research yeah. that needs to be done, you know, and yeah. let's and at the same time be as inclusive as possible. That's what I would say. Yeah. I, mean, I think you agree <clears throat> with that. Yeah, I mean I, you know how I feel about these yeah. kind of things. And you know, I think try Whenever there's a story like this, it just I'm sick of having the same argument with the same people. It's, it's the same. It keeps popping and, up. It's just spreading through all different sports at the moment. You know, why 
why do we have to, to see keep... the UCI though coming out with a positive statement? Yeah, that's the main thing about this. I mean, that's the story, isn't it? But yeah. but I I know that that kind of story would be taken up by you know typical. Oh, yeah. Sharon Davis will be all over it. Yeah, exactly, because that's what she's paid to do. Mm. But she doesn't deal in facts. She just deals this in in this emotional argument that that uh, women's sports are being damaged by trans women. And, you know, if you eliminated all trans women from every sport, sport ain't going to get any fairer. You know, there's a lot you'd, of reasons you'd why... Hardly would... no, you'd hardly notice, to be honest, because there's not well, many trans women in sport. No, because the ones... That's why they cling to the ones that are, because like, you know, Leah Thomas, the only reason we've heard of Leah Thomas is because of this. And it's, you know, why, why are we focusing on trans women when you should be talking about celebrating women? Yeah, why exactly. isn't Sharon Davis celebrating female athletes? She's not talking about any female athletes. She's not interested in that. She's just talking about and drawing attention to things that don't really. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. I think I'm getting ill. Getting ill. Yeah. Oh, God. Been snogging dirty, man. <laughs> Our next story, talking about dirty men. Um, artwork of Jesus, surrounded by hot leather daddies in EU exhibition. Has, oh, I love they've, this. They've, they've put ring-winged bigots. I think what they mean is right-wing bigots. Yeah, yeah. Ring-wing. I've never heard of that phrase. Wing-wing bigots. <laughs> ring-wing bigots. So there's chicken, the image. Chicken-wing bigots. The European Jesus with the... Uh, you see, I love that. You know, because like, if you think about the image of Jesus, it is a sexual image, you know I mean? I don't mean like it's pornography, but it, 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 there is that S&M, you know, like the whole idea of like submission, domination, enlightenment through suffering, endurance and pain. It comes out of all those images of Jesus being whipped. So th and, this, is a, this is a lesbian photographer, the artist, um, Elizabeth... Olsen, known for known for reflecting visual minorities in her photos. Um, it is a photo, isn't it? It's not a, yeah. yeah it, look, it looks like a you know, like a, a performance photograph where they they yeah. act out the. the you know, like, have you heard of Dave? Uh, not Dave. Um, oh, what's he called <clears> now? The, I'll me, think of that. Go on, keep talking. Yeah. I'll think about it. The artwork depicting Jesus surrounded by leather-clad muscle daddies, displayed in a corridor of the European Parliament building has sent right-wing EU officials into a red-faced rage. It's been branded vulgar, disrespectful and blasphemous by right-wing politicians from Italy mm. and Poland, with one describing Jesus' stern-looking pals as sadomasochistic slaves. <laughs> the artist says the work uh, depicts Jesus loving LGBTQ plus rights. The image by Swedish lesbian photographer Elizabeth Olsen being displayed in a side corridor of the building of the Bru in Brussels as part mm. of the cultural exhibition hosted by left-wing politicians from across Europe. Mm. Threats yeah. to close down the exhibition or remove photos deemed controversial have been made, also revealed on Instagram on Wednesday. Yeah, I love it. So I, it's the usual, yeah. you know, right-wing yeah. bigots uh, are raging. I, I was uh, going to say, the, the artist that it reminded me of was Dave LaChapelle, and he does um, those okay. kind of staged, you know, like he'll get a whole cast of people to you know enact and then do the photographs from that and uh, yeah i love I, I mean the image of jesus is is powerful because it's it's an archetype and people already bring their prejudices when they look at something like that so that is what is worth because it's like what i was saying about 
you know, when I when I tweet something, when I put something out there, I know it's working on a on it and a you know I'm I'm not just posting it randomly. I'm it's like a there's a message to it. Like you know, when I post like slightly erotic images, and I know exactly what the thing I'm uh, leaning into is. So like when when artists do things like this, they they know they know what the they know the iconography, they know the history of those images. And like with the leather daddies and stuff like that. I mean, if you look at have you have you heard of the artist Al Greco? Uh no. And and, and, and his images are like this because they, they they have like sinewy flesh and muscly bodies and they're like painted really lyrically. And this is what this reminds me of. So the I I fully I expect this artist Elizabeth Holson, is it? Yeah. She will have looked at those images. Because if you see the way Jesus is posing there, it's exactly the same as in El Greco, in the Michelangelo. And and that's but, what it's I mean, playing into. There's nothing I've seen in those pictures. It's just no, there's, no, no, but but that's what that's what it's doing. You see, that's what I have been doing. Because people will tell on themselves yes, when they exactly. look at something will, like that. It will unveil their inner thoughts. Yeah, because they'll um, say, Well, this is why? Because if, if if you look at an image and you see pornography, where there is none. Well, no, there could be, but it doesn't mean if you if you think pornography and then see that that in your mind, that's because you're being turned on by it, mm -hmm. not because of anything else. So the the artist the the exhibition is in the European Parliament in Brussels from May second to fifth. Should you want to go and see it? No, um, no. That there's a, there's another thing I wanted to add to that because when when I say turn the artist, by, the artist herself has said, you know, the people complaining about it just need to get over themselves. It's just there for a couple of days, so just mm. enjoy the picture. You know. Sorry, what were you saying? I was saying, you know, when I said people look at an image and if they turned on by it, but but that that repulsion as well is the, is a powerful thing. Like you know, there's sometimes the way people look at trans women, and I know that that people who are really you know, anti-trans, they'll look at kind of sexualized images of trans people and it's completely repulsive to them. And that is the same energy at work that works in pornography, you know, because if you look at it in a way, like a lot of pornography is, you know, it's not, it's kind of, you know, it's, okay, it's it makes you wonder what, what kind of image of Jesus like that would the right-wing people approve of? Would they, would, would they rather see, you know, all the Republicans standing around him or something is that is that what they want yeah 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 that's what they want they want like ronda ronda DeSantis standing there and mm. but you see that this is why trans images are used a lot in culture because and it's been it's not just a new thing like if you look at the greek greek uh sculptures that a lot of them had female torsos with quite large penises and they were playing with the idea of incongruence because it makes you think about something else the idea of the hermaphrodite the idea of um aphrodite it could be a man because because they didn't they didn't obviously back then there was no codified way of like scientific way of looking at they just knew that that existed in the mind so that was kind of pure so when sculpt so they couldn't do anything to their bodies they couldn't have any surgeries but they made sculptures that represented something that was in the mind already and that gender incongruence existed in the minds of the greeks mm -hmm. and and it exists throughout all art you see that because when you look at images of jesus actually a lot of them he does look like a slightly feminine effeminate 
man or a boy. And so, you, so the idea of the long hair and and and, uh, and a kind of soft flesh, the very soft kind of uh, what would you call it, soulful look that he has. That's a very, you know, it's it messes with the idea of gender a bit. Hmm. You can tell I've read a bit of art, art history, can't you? <laughs> okay, should we move on? No. <laughs> No, because I just no, no. Else, I just want to say anything else about wanted, Jesus. No, there is something I wanted to add to that actually, because you know when I was on talk TV and somebody noticed a book in the back of my on my shelf, and one of those books is Eric Stanton, and they were said, "Oh, look, see evidence. This uh, person is a pervert because in this Eric Stanton book is full of actually, you know, Eric Stanton what he drew and what he painted was powerful women dominating weak men." That's what he mainly drew, and these and the way he 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 draws them in such a beautiful way, it's like it reminds me of that kind of because he's putting things together that because your eyes like oh my god your eye looks at it and goes that's beautiful actually what am I looking at it's a it's a massive woman with huge knockers slapping a little man, and that's <laughs> but the but the way it's painted and drawn is beautiful. So you know if you want to look up Eric Stanton. Okay. But there is, there is some problems with Eric Stanton because he, yeah, I mean, if you think about like the culture he lived in, there were like, it was like the beginnings of pornography because before film, it was all kind of drawn. Like most pornography was, or what we consider pornography was an illustration. It was only in, in, in the later, like mid-century that, that video and then you know photography obviously there was photography but it was still like if you look at those magazines <clears throat> from the 50s and 60s most of what they call porn is illustrated because for one thing they couldn't get women to do it <laughs> and some of the fantasies they had were kind of like you know questionable so that's why on that note <laughs> okay so you know, we we've, we seem to be having a lot of stories about right-wing bigots. Mm -hmm. The we next one is no to, different. Um, we love to take them down. <laughs> so the next one um, is about butch females. Butch female bikers protect drag queen story hour from right-wing bigots. Um, this was an interesting one. Um, it's based in Canada. I'll just read out a bit of the story here. A, a, a butch motorbike group has explained proudly why it, it it took a stand to defend a family-friendly drag queen story time event in Ontario, Canada. Members of the Wind Sisters Biker Group stood outside Middlesex County Library in Park Hill, Ontario, on Saturday, 29th of April, to defend drag queens and attending families from the inevitable anti-LGBTQ plus backlash. Um, family members had to be escorted into the library by community organisers, due to the dozens of anti-drag anti protesters attempting to block the library entrance. During the event, members of the Women's Motorbike Group reportedly linked arms to prevent protesters from entering the premises. Historically, a butch like myself and I have, and I've been one for 50 years now, our role in the community has always been one of the great protectors, Wind Sisters member Patricia Jin told CTV News. So I, I thought this was a really interesting one. I mean, first of all, it shows that 
Canada's having these problems too. I, I didn't realise it was going on in Canada as much as that. No, it's everywhere. Yeah, but um, this kind of made me start to think about, well, you know, could trans women do this? Yeah. <laughs> could trans Can women form a biker group yeah. and then use that group as a as a way of protecting um, the community? Could we do that? Would we be criticised for such a <clears throat> Well, we'd be criticised no matter what we do. Well, we criticise whatever we do. We criticise for breathing most of the time. Well, I did have this idea. You know, I was talking about. You know, because I'm just thinking. You know, you got butch. You got butch lesbians doing something. So why couldn't we have, you know, trans women doing something? Yeah, but I've, I, I along I the same lines. I did have this idea because there is a few LGBTQ uh, biker groups, like men mainly. And I thought well, that'd be great to protest something like Kelly J. Keene, like because it's so loud, the engine noise, and and it's like it's a it's a massive show of solidarity. And while because because bikers are associated with kind of outlaws, aren't they? And it's got yeah. that kind of sexiness to it. it. Yeah. It's really sexy. And I thought about it, but I thought that see, whenever I think about these things, I don't want to actually draw attention to, you know, what I because. But but then again, we have to do something, don't we? We can't sit idly by. And I think this I'm is. Just, I'm just. I was kind of playing with the idea. Okay, you've got you've got a butch mighty, um, motorbike group here, butch lesbians, um, who don't seem to get any criticism for doing this. Could can can transgender women do a similar thing? Would we be would we be accused of playing into some kind of hands of the turfs if we did this thing if we were to do something like this would they say oh look look, they are men look they're on motorbikes would they do that because you i mean you can't say that about butch lesbians can you so mm, not, yeah can, why how can how can you say it about transgender women mm. well it's a, the thing is though like i think we said about this before like if you start going in that direction it can be a bit you know, because I, I think about people on an individual basis, because yeah. like just because somebody is, you know, I know we can talk about averages and stuff like that. But but... Didn't, didn't you mention there's a there's a group in Manchester that <clears throat> walk around doing protection? Oh, in... the, the village angels. Yeah, the village angels. They're not really. They're not like a biker kind of. But no, they're not. Is, I know. But... It's that they give out condoms and and they give out. They're like that section. unit that used to be in New York on the subways, aren't they? Yeah, I met, I remember because I know one of the guys that does it, and uh, and because I met him on on Canal Street, and I was like, oh, because because it looked really impressive, like what they were doing. I said, oh, what's it about? I said, we just give out sexual advice, and so I was like, can I have some sexual advice? (laughs) (laughs) I was like rubbing my legs. (laughs) No, um, no, because they're just like what it is like. Because I think it's hard to. You know, they're not like a they're not like a sort of community police or anything like that. No, you know what I mean. They don't have any kind of. No, but they're there. They're there if somebody wants. Yeah, because like, say, if somebody collapses outside a club or they've just had a few too Mm -hmm. many drinks and they look a bit vulnerable, like this. Like I know there's been girls sat outside bars on their own, like with their shoes in their hand and a kebab in the other. Going, Becky, are you calling me an Uber? And then they'll just go up and help them. You know, help them up and put them in somewhere safe. And that's all it is. It's really cool, cool that they do that. Because I've been that girl. <laughs> so are you? Are you? Are you in favour of a setting up a transgender biker group? I think we should start 
and yeah, use it, use it as a protection see, for us. See, see I've, I'm, there's two things about this. I don't. I'm, I I want to do it on electric bikes. Electric bikes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But then you eliminate the power of the sound. You see. Well, you can still have sound. It just comes out of a speaker instead of the exhaust pipe. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think it would be effective. Yeah, I think I would. It would. But I, I don't. I, I mean, no, because I, we're I think always I, trans women are always told, "Oh, you're dangerous. You're the dangerous person here. Mm. You know, mm. we have to fear you because you're mm. going to do this, this, and that to us." But you know, if we if we're set up as, oh look, well, we're actually the the group of people who are going to protect you. Um, mm. Doesn't that change the? Yeah. Change the argument, doesn't that yeah, neutralize but, but, the but, argument but, uh, that we're dangerous? The argument's nonsense anyway, isn't it? it well, it is, make... but I th this really kind of appealed to me, this butch motorbike group. Do you know it, what? It though, of, right. Here's a bunch There's... of women who are protecting people, and trans women can do this. I've just realized something that you, you made me think about something. Because when I've been out in the village in Manchester on a Friday or Saturday night, you know, you do see girls who get. I mean, obviously men as well, but, you know, sometimes when girls are drunk, they are a bit more vulnerable, aren't they? And I've helped. I've been there. Like, Because women, what, what, I, what tends to happen is because we share the spaces and we look out for each other, whether we're trans or not, because you're sharing spaces with cis women who are quite pissed sometimes. On end yeah, vulnerable people. And, and and I think if you, you sometimes see a girl and you can hear her being sick in the next cubicle. And I'm like, are you all right there, babe? You need something, mm -hmm. and and you know it doesn't matter. Nobody gives a fuck about anybody being trans or cis, you know, because there's a lot more problems out there than yeah, that. Yeah, but you see, I mean, you're you're first aid trained, aren't you? Because of what you do, um, so there's, there's things that all of us all all of us have kind of different skills, don't we? I mean, why can't we use those in a positive way? You know, in within mm. our community, mm. you know, we're always the, the thing is we're always portrayed negatively, and mm. maybe there's something that we can use. That's yeah, common but we shouldn't, to us all we shouldn't have to positive. be. We shouldn't have to say that. I mean, no, I know we shouldn't. But I mean, I'm not trying to justify us or anything, but I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a. Is there not an opportunity there for us to do something like form a motorbike group and be a protection force? Is that am I am I off the scale here or something? Or no, are, no, no. I'm just looking now at biker I'm groups. I don't understand. I mean, yeah, it sounds. Yeah, there is a few uh, LGBT biker groups actually. I'm just seeing them now, mainly gay men. And I think if we, because because I I don't I interestingly I did used to ride motorbike. I used to, I lived on the Isle of Man for a year. And my brother-in-law used to work for the TT. He used to occasionally, like he was a volunteer, and he used to work with the bikes, you know, doing the mechanicing. And I, I've been around the TT course on a Ducati. Uh, was it uh, a Ducati 916? I've done 120 mile an hour down oh. the, um, it's called, uh, oh, what's it called? Wait, it's, the, it's on the mountain. Well, just coming off the mountain, there's this stretch of road called Croc Nevody. And it's, it's like an almost straight piece of road that goes straight down to the bottom of this hill. And on the TT track, but uh, I think speeds have been recorded at 160 there, and I've I've actually done that. <laughs> so just wait to throw that in. But uh, oh, I'd sign, have you, to, sign you up then. Bike I'd have check. to be. I know, but it, we, we could hire bikes for the day, couldn't we? And get electric ones. We could have electric Harleys. How about that? You see, you see, it's going to be an expensive project. This because if <laughs> if we don't already have the bikes in place and we don't already have the leathers, 
Well, you know, there are other expensive hobbies that we could give up and we could do this instead, you know. Mm, what are they? I don't know, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. It feels I like, like... It, I, I quite like this idea. I okay, so here's it, the question. It feels, like a, it feels like a winner. Um, Here's the question. How many people becomes a gang? Because, like, is three people a biker gang? Yeah. Biker gang of three. Gang of three. Yeah, so we need two other... I think you need at least other... three. You need three. It, how much would it cost? Because two hire... is just a couple. Three is a gang. How much would it cost to hire a bike? I don't know. Or do they even hire bikes? Um, buy they do... so it's a very big insurance. Well, if you've, got, if you've never ridden a bike, you have to go and get your license first. Yeah, you see, it's not. And you've got to get easy. your bike. It's a few grand. Um, it might be better. If if we club. found the people that already. Oh, if we joined, them. we could join an existing club. We could join this club, couldn't we? The Butch Female Bikers Club. We well, we, they're, they're all the way over in. Uh, where are they based? Canada. Yeah. <laughs> we need it's one in the UK. Version, it's got to be a British version of that. Well, I know. I just Googled. There are some British um, uh, gay men's biker group. There, oh, I what mean, about, there was what about one... Butch Female Bikers? Group? Well, there was a gay pride on the Isle of Man a couple of years ago, but the lobby groups put an end to it by making up stories. That's true. Actually. Anyway, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there as an idea. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I like the idea. It's just the logistics of it. <laughs> the logistics may be troublesome. Yes. Yeah. Um, now I don't know how we're going to link this to the next story, but the next story is about a penis-shaped iceberg <laughs> seen yeah. floating past a town named Dildo. Um, the jokes are so bad they're good. I thought this was made up. Well, I thought it was made up, and and it's not. It's true. If it was April the 1st, I would definitely think it was made up. So a giant-sized penis-shaped iceberg has gone viral. I'm not sure if the penis has gone viral, but the, <laughs> the giant penis-shaped penis. story has gone Let's viral. Let's not link the words penis and viral. <laughs> <laughs> the penis has gone viral after being photographed floating past the town of Dildo. <laughs> the irony is not lost, is it? Um, in Canada. The huge iceberg was spotted by Canadian photographer Ken Pretty near the town of Dildo in Newfoundland and Labrador, with local residents dubbing it the uh, Dickie Burger. <laughs> Dickie Burger. Dickie Burger. Yeah, I just think, you know, if this is it, this hilarious. the kind of thing, is this the, is this the dick that sunk the Titanic? Well, it could have been its cousin. Because you know about my film idea, don't you? You know, I've I've always I've had this idea to write a uh, a script for a film where the Titanic doesn't hit an iceberg; it gets to New York and everybody has a nice yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, you mentioned this on the but, last but, one. But 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 I am writing it. But one of the scenes in it is uh, somebody goes to the bar, and uh, there's like a, a bit of a a bit of a build up with the music, and some and the barman goes, "Would you like ice with that?" And then because the, because you're expecting then for for it to hit the iceberg. But you just put some ice in a glass of scotch and everybody has a nice time. Everybody has a nice time. <laughs> so <laughs> looking from the land, it was quite clear, but it wasn't quite clear. But once I got the drone out there, it was unreal how much it looked like. Well, you know, said Petty. Mm. People don't believe it's real. They think it's photoshopped. I can tell you it's real. Petty's photos attract several witty comments, including unusually it's smaller than this when it's cold. Um, it's just average size and other commuters uh, commenters. Say. You know, do you know, do you know, with icebergs, I didn't know this, but you know, the bit of the iceberg you see. Yeah, that's, that's like, only the 
Oh my god, I just realized the tip, the of, tip of the ice. Oh god, it's so thick, Frida. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna bring that's... into view some of the other pictures that show that it's a real iceberg. There we go. It looks beautiful. Have you seen that video? There's a video of a, a like a, a pleasure. It's just, it's just bizarre how it's kind of formed like that. There's it? a there's a video of a, a like a you know like a day trip boat, and they go looking at icebergs, and and one of the icebergs tips over because they're huge, and there's like this tsunami wave comes towards them, and everybody on the boat they, they're all safe, nobody was drowned or anything, but you, you see this wave, and the, the whole boat goes like side to side because of the iceberg turning over, because when they when they melt in, they balance, yeah, they you know, flip. they, they can't the center of gravity changes. Yeah, pretty dangerous start, to be near them actually. Mm. I've never happens. seen one in Especially real life. This one. I'd love to see one. You wouldn't want to be crushed by a giant ice penis, would you? That would be. Uh, I don't mind. A way to go. <laughs> I mean, how long? If you had a penis, um, if I had a penis, excuse me. If, if, I, if I had a like an ice penis, how long would it take to melt? Like depends how hot it was. Or. I'm talking about, no, I don't think I can go into the details of what I'm trying to describe. <laughs> I mean, the thing that else melts ice is heat, isn't it? So there's your answer. Yeah, and my ass is hot, let's face it. There is no there is no <laughs> response to that comment. And uh, and, and my friend, uh, Joe, she's got a glass dildo. It's, it looks like ice. It's like perfectly see-through. Okay, can I just make a point? You know, because we're talking about an ice-shaped penis doesn't mean that we can move on to dildos in general all right because i was okay. hoping that ann summers would be able to sponsor us ann summers will sponsor us with oh love honey penis shaped dildos okay I'm try what i'm trying to do like try i'm trying to promote the podcast get us up to a few hundred views and then just approach people say oh look if you want to send us some freebies and before we know it i'll be like dylan mulvaney i'll be advertising nike that's the point. you think that's going to happen <laughs> Yeah, that's a plan. Okay. I've got ambitions, Vicky. Okay. God, stop, stop. stop. Okay. <laughs> stop putting a damper on me ambitions. No, no, no. Would I? Would I do such? <laughs> no, you, what you're actually saying is be realistic. <laughs> yes. Mm. Right, well, now transform us back to our large normal selves. There we go. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's it for um, topics today. I just say it's been a mad week of events, hasn't it, with the coronation? It is it in Eurovision? Is that I Eurovision? Think. I think there's some events going on during the week for Eurovision, like the semi-finals. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, and then the real thing is on. Well, the real thing, the the final is on Saturday, isn't it? Next week. Yeah, what we need though, what I'm 13th, looking for, I'm looking forward to Pride coming up because it winds up transphobes. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> we should, because they call it Pride Month now, but. The first Prides. Well, the first Pride event. Pretty much all summer. It starts, there was one in Blackpool in winter, and it's it's kind well, of all year round. Yeah. Because we just want to turn the whole world queer, really. But that's the mission. But what I'm saying is, like, Pride events start happening in May, don't they? There's all kinds of events. I think pretty much any month of the year you'll I'm find doing, an event. I'm doing Stockport Pride. Stockport Pride. Yeah. Mm. And I'm doing... Um, Levin June Pride, and I'm doing Bolton Pride, and I'm doing Manchester Pride. Wow! But I'm going to be so proud. <laughs> You'll be really proud after doing. I'll be so rainbowed. 
and and it's I'm doing I'm going to because I because I, I really need that. I really need trans joy and trans celebration because I feel like I've I don't know I feel like I've spent a couple of years like just trying to work it all out and now I kind of feel a bit more secure in my body and I'm, I'm much more happy you know what I mean because I feel like I, obviously yeah my recent operation made a big difference how I feel. So I did a couple of Scottish prides last year. This year I'm going to do Chippenham Pride because it's got that. When you said Chippenham Pride, I thought you were kind of joking. I was like, well, no, that, is that it's made got up? Trans in the City are doing a, <laughs> an event. At, at, I need to, yeah, I'm, yeah, I need to. So I'm going to go that down to that. Um, I was going to go to Brighton Trans Pride, but I can't because I've got to go to a. Um, no, Brighton's always a wedding. It. I've never actually mm-hmm. been to Brighton, but when I've when I've seen the photos of Brighton Pride, it always looks amazing. I I'm, think going Brian's... Hen night. I'm going on a hen night in hen, a hen weekend in Liverpool that weekend, mm. so I can't go. Mm. But we'll go to a few pride. Oh, and we've also got go, um, probably do the Manchester um, Trans Pride Sparkle. Yeah, I just call it trans, Manchester Trans Pride. Trans pride. I, think, yeah, okay. I think they should drop the Sparkle. They should, thing. yeah. Just call it Trans Pride. Manchester. I might put that to them because I mean, the, I mean, I've got. I don't know. It's I think the organisation's called Sparkle, though, isn't it? Mm. That runs it. So, but if they call it Trans Pride, that gives it more. People know what it's about. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A new name, probably a good idea. Mm. Um, I think that's it. I think I've been in some interesting topics there. From I, we went all the way from uh, lesbian bikers to dick to icy dildos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so it was I an icy. Enjoyed... It was an icy iceberg that floated past the town of Dildo, so it's not quite a dildo. Okay. Just okay. Okay. Just to got you on a technical point now. Okay, yeah, but I, it, yeah. I was trying to make a joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so everything is tickety-boo. <laughs> everything is tickety-boo, yes, <laughs> indeed. And we will be back to um, torture you once more um, on Thursday yeah. Live, won't we? And if you enjoyed the podcast and me wittering on and Vicky droning on... <laughs> Then don't forget to subscribe. Are you doing and, the droning? I was doing what, the we can, You're going to do some droning now because we're going to try and do the song. Oh, God. Again. I, yeah, thought we'd, it, I thought we'd crack the song and we weren't going to do it again. No, we've got to do it because I want to get it right for the 50th episode, which isn't very long off. No. I think is the 50th one going away. to be a live one? Um, It might be next Sunday because if, if we do, do Thursday want... live, the 50th will be next Sunday, won't it? I do want to do it live. Maybe we could do a live Sunday. Mm. No, I I really want to do the fiftieth episode live. So, are you ready for the song? Because we've got yes. to get the song right for the fiftieth episode. We took, you know, we've been doing it fifty. Times. I don't think we've done it fifty times, but Not it feels nice. like it. All right, are you ready? Yes. One, two, three. Don't, don't forget, forget to subscribe. subscribe. That was terrible. I think that's the worst one yet. <laughs> You're rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm classically trained. Classically trained in what? Listen, not, obviously don't not singing. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, <laughs> okay. On bye that for note, now. on that bum note, bye for bye. now. <laughs> don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to tell your neighbours. And we'll be back on Thursday to torture you once more. <laughs>